The following podcast may contain adult language and conversations revolving around situations not suitable for immature audiences. Spoilers and general political incorrectness can often be expected, so listener discretion is advised. They must be destroyed on sight! Hey guys, how you doing? Lee Russell here. If you hadn't guessed by the title of this episode, it is an intermission, so it's just me. Uh, my co-hosts were not available this week. We had planned on doing The Lodger and Hangover Square from 1944 and 1945, respectively, in our continuation of our film noir crime series, but... Some unforeseen circumstances came about, so we were unable to record at the last minute. I apologize for that, but sometimes real life shit happens, right? One of the things we try to stick to with this podcast, though, is even though if we can't get a real episode out, we try to get out at least something for you guys to listen to, unless, you know, we're just all exhausted or all incredibly fucking busy. And um, I wanted to talk movies and talk about shit, even though the other guys couldn't get here this week. So that's why I'm doing this. I'm doing an intermission episode. So I don't know how long this is going to run, but uh, I do have some stuff to talk about, and I just wanted to put it out there. So there you go. Uh, we, we we try to keep sending you guys comment, sending you guys content. What the fuck? Uh, I'm a little I'm a little drunk. I'm a little tired. I will confess. Um, so we we just sending you guys some stuff every week. We're just trying to give you some premium content, you know. No, no, no fucking fugazis here or whatever, right? Got some recent purchases that I want to talk about. Some recent uh, viewings I want to talk about. And I've got a couple old reviews from my uh, blog archive I'm going to dip into tonight and uh, give to you. And I'm going to run down what's in store for the future of the podcast. Like, what episodes... Uh, we're going to be doing stuff to look forward to in the next coming months. We we sort of have a general plan outlined. It, it's subject to change, of course, but sort of what we got in mind to do. So, uh, you know, just bear with us. Um, I think most of the people who listen to us now on a regular basis know that we just sort of shoot from the hip. We just sort of go for whatever we're into going for, whatever given week. It's sort of how we roll. We don't uh, go into extensive planning which is cool. It's a, it's a very casual podcast, so and that's the way we want to keep it. But um, I guess first I'll sort of dip into my recent purchases, and uh, one of them hasn't shown up yet, and that is uh, Master of the Flying Guillotine. Uh, actually, a couple of my purchases are based on listening to uh, recent episodes of the Badass Boobs and Body Counts uh, podcast, so uh, thanks to them. Master of the Flying Guillotine, really awesome kung fu film, one of my favorites, well, martial arts film, I shouldn't say kung fu film, should I? But yeah, it's right up there of Heroes of the East for me, is like one of the true greats of the genre. This one's a bit more B-movie level compared to like Heroes of the East, in some respects, it's, it's not got quite the same uh, production value in some some ways. But it's got this like really cool tournament format to it, and it's got a revenge tail in it it's just really badass you know you got like a blind 
martial arts master who is the master of the flying guillotine. So he's going around killing all one-armed men. And there's a surprising amount of one-armed men in the country. <laughs> you would be surprised. And he's killing every one of them until he finds the one he's looking for. So real, some really great action scenes in it. Some really interesting, colorful characters in it. Uh, thoroughly entertaining. And uh, I can't wait till it shows up. I, I ordered it. Uh, I don't know if I ordered necessarily the best copy of it. Um, but I ordered the copy that looked the most interesting as far as DVD details goes. So uh, I definitely fo look forward to it. And I don't really care about film quality. As long as it doesn't look like total shit. I mean, I I've watched some stuff from those uh, Mill Creek uh, 50 movie packs that are just pretty much unwatchable to most people and I can still get through them so you know that that sort of stuff doesn't bother me too much but um, yeah I, I think pretty much the print I'm getting is akin to most of the stuff you see on like YouTube and stuff so it's fine it's totally fine uh, another one I got uh, also one that was just recently covered on the uh, badass boobs and body counts uh, podcast is the beast within I don't have a Blu-ray player, so I can't get the uh, spiffy Blu-ray version that's out there, but I did get the double feature from the old uh, MGM Midnight Movies series. It has The Beast Within and The Bat People. Haven't watched The Bat People yet, but The Beast Within, this is one of those um, early films uh, from the 1980s that I just never watched. Uh, I've always heard about, but I've never seen, and I'm glad I finally picked it up. Uh, there's some stuff that's just disappointing about it. Like, I, I kind of felt like they could have got more into the mythology of the origins of the creature and the sort of soul transfer kind of thing going on in it. And uh, uh, the fact that the monster should probably look more like a giant cicada than it does some bug-eyed uh, uh, fucking gremlin monster of some sort. But that aside, the effects are actually really goddamn good. And the acting's actually fairly decent from a lot of really good little character actors. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I, I know the guys on uh, and gal, of course, on the Badass and Boobs and Body Counts uh, podcast, also fairly quite enjoyed it as well. They they gave it fairly good marks. So uh, I still have, like I said, I haven't watched the Bat People yet, but uh, it looks like it's kind of cheesy, cheesy fun anyway. Seventies horror fun. So I'm gonna I'm gonna look into that one at some point. But yeah, the Beast Within is definitely recommended. Um, Got my DVD of The Hateful Eight in. This is, of course, not the Roadshow uh, version. That is a little bit longer. I think it's like 20 minutes longer or something like that. It's got the intermission segment in it and all that shit, which is disappointing. Quentin Tarantino has this habit of releasing fucking DVDs that suck ass. Ever since, like, Kill Bill, uh, his DVDs have just, like, really dropped in quality. Uh, remember, the, like, Jackie Brown... Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, all those DVD releases, they're fucking awesome. But after that, they just minimal uh, supplements. Basically just the sort of standard bullshit, ball-washing Hollywood garbage fucking featurettes <coughs> that are basically just promos for the uh, fucking film more than anything else, right? That's what you get in this as well. I mean, you get them sort of explaining what the sort of 70 millimeter presentation of, uh, I guess it's like 65 millimeter film. They, they sort of explain that and they explain the sort of idea of the roadshow phenomenon that was a thing for a while back in the 50s and 60s for the most part. So, that, you know, that's kind of illuminating. But the other thing is just sort of a 
a stupid featurette talking about the movie and of all the actors saying how great it was to work with Quentin and how what a genius he fucking is and all that stuff. It's like, oh my god, shut the fuck up. I want commentaries or something like that. I'm sure there'll be a special edition of this at some point, maybe. I don't know. I don't think even the sort of special editions of uh, Kill Bill ever really showed up here, did they? Like, whole bloody mess or whatever the fuck it was called. Um, didn't it only show up in Japan, I think? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Just really inconsistent, shitty fucking DVD releases, which is really disappointing because the guy's a fucking... He comes from the era of fucking VHS. He comes from a culture of collecting movies and having them on home video of some sort of format and all the geekery involved in films, and yet he releases these really garbage fucking DVD releases that don't fucking play to that fan base at all. So I don't know what the fuck he's thinking, but maybe he has little to do with it. I don't know. Maybe he wrote himself a really bad contract, and Harvey and Bob Weinstein are just, like, fucking him on the other end. I don't know. I got the director's cut of Alien, I don't know if I've talked about this on a podcast before that I got this recently. Uh, I can't remember, so that's why I'm just bringing it up here as well. But uh, I got the director's cut version of uh, Ridley Scott's Alien. Uh, when was this released? I think it was... Yeah, 2003. So this is an older version. I think there's been a couple other versions as well. But this, this basically has the director's cut and the theatrical version. Not a big difference, honestly, between the two. But it's nice to have them both. Uh, there's some pretty good featurettes on the second disc, but uh, it's just one of those ones where it's like I never got around to adding it to my collection, and I love Alien. I think it's a great fucking horror movie, and it's a decent sci-fi movie at the same time. And um, yeah, I always just wanted to add it to my collection, and I finally did, so there you go. <laughs> Not much more to say about it. Probably will review it on the podcast at some point, so I don't want to get too deep into it. This I might have mentioned on the podcast a couple episodes ago or so. I, that, again, I can't remember, and I apologize if I did mention it. But uh, I got the uh, Blu-ray DVD combo pack version of The Editor, which is a basically what Black Dynamite did for black exploitation films. This does for Italian giallo films. It's Canadian-made, basically send-up, homage love letter to that sort of genre of films, and they do it pitch perfect. It's just so good. Uh, they actually dubbed the film for, for the uh, vocal tracks on this, and they basically just did, like, really bad English dubbing and basically just made it sound really authentic, let's put it that way. And this this actually, it doesn't even just uh, sort of uh, reference giallo. It also references pretty much every aspect of Italian horror from the 70s to the 80s. Um, there's a lot, there's some supernatural elements and stuff in this as well. And it, it's just really well done. It, it's note perfect the way they did this. And it, it's from the guys from, uh, Astron 6. Uh, this is definitely sort of a departure from the stuff that the, uh, Astron 6 guys were doing. Uh, the Astron 6 releases have been a bit, I guess, less polished than this. This is like authentically like a really great looking movie and really well done. The production on it is fucking amazing. I think everyone should see it. It's just a lot of fun. There, there's laughs to be had, but it's also just sort of a really nice spectacle to watch. Like it's just really well done. And anyone's a fan of these sort of uh, Italian horror genres all mashed up together into this film, I think they'll definitely get something out of it. So it was one of my favorite films of uh, 
last year. So there you go. And finally, I'll mention Dr. Alien. And I just... I don't even know why I fucking bought this. Because it was cheap as fuck, I guess? Because it had uh, Linnea Quigley in it? Yeah, that's probably the best answer. Uh, But it's basically an alien comes down and uh, starts experimenting on this nerdy guy in high school. And it makes it so a tentacle grows out of his head that makes him irresistible to women. And they basically start throwing themselves at him. And of course, a lot of boobies are exposed. A lot of hijinks. We might have to do this for the sex comedy series. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe not this time around, but definitely next time around, at the very least. We'll, We'll see what happens. But it's actually kind of fun. Uh, some of the special effects are actually kind of decent for this really low-budget bullshit. Basically, teddy comedy is what it is, really. But it's actually not too bad. And it's a, it's a David Decato film, so <laughs> you kind of know what to expect if, you, if you're if you familiar with his work at all. Of course, this is back in the period when he wasn't making uh, films about hot young guys wearing their underwear and uh, basically staring at each other. This is back when he was doing that sort of thing with women instead. And I'm not uh, criticizing him, of course. He took his career into a different direction, sort of doing the stuff he wanted to do, which I definitely applaud. Of course, I'm not going to watch those films, but I definitely applaud him. I kind of do wish he'd go back to making films where we stare at women in their underwear or less, but hey, whatever. He made a lot of really good ones that uh, we can still watch to this day. So there you go. But Dr. Alien, kind of fun. It's just kind of goofy fun. So yeah, I think I got it for like five bucks. I don't know why the fuck not. All right, uh, so we'll talk about a couple things I watched recently. I want to mention last week I mentioned that I was watching a British crime series called The Driver. Sort of continued that and started watching another British crime series called Happy Valley. It centers around this uh, female sergeant in the police force in this uh, rural valley in uh, Western Yorkshire, I guess. And basically she's dealing with all these problems in her personal life and all these problems that creep up, uh, of course, with her job. All this heinous shit she has to deal with. Uh, I don't want to spoil anything if you actually haven't seen it. It's only two series so far. Uh, six episodes in each, ser- each series. They're fucking brilliant. They're they're harrowing. Like they're <laughs> They are devastating to watch in a lot of ways because, man, if you thought your life was shit, you watch these series and you'll be like, my life's not that bad compared to <laughs> compared to hers and some of the other people in this fucking show. But um, it's brilliantly written, brilliantly acted. Uh, even the stuff that kind of feels like it should be over the top and silly is just grounded really well in the performances. And coincidences and stuff and stuff like that, you can kind of just write them off. Uh, the contrivances, I should say. You, should, you can just write them off because... Uh, it's just so well done, and it's probably one of the best TV shows I've ever seen in my life. And uh, I'm probably going to pick it up on DVD. I kind of hope a third series happens, but uh, if it doesn't, I'd be totally happy with the two series I've seen so far. Totally recommended. The other thing I watched was uh, Jim Jaramusch's, uh Only Lovers Left Alive from a couple years back, vampire movie. Tom Hiddleston, is that his name? I can't remember. The, the guy who plays Loki in... Uh, the Avengers and Thor movies, and uh, Tilda Swinton, and John Hurt as well. And it's the best hipster vampire movie I've ever seen. It's probably the only one that doesn't suck. Excuse the pun, of course, because vampires do suck. They suck blood. Blah, 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 blah. But um, 
I digress. It's really cool. It's just these two vampires, they are married, but they've been separated for a while. The Tom Hiddleston vampire is depressed, and he's grown weary of the world. He wants to commit suicide. Uh, Tilda Swinton, of course, is the wife vampire, and she comes to console him and try to uh, get his life, so to speak, back on track. A lot of cool stuff. Uh, basically just Jim Jarmusch putting everything he loves into film. Throwing out all the sort of authors, writers, poets, musicians, everything that he loves. He's just sticking into this film in some sort of way. Just referencing tons of really cool stuff. And it never feels overblown or overdone. It, it feels very natural. I enjoyed the performances. The movie doesn't necessarily have a lot going on in that plot-wise. Not a lot really happens, but I mean, that's kind of to be expected with uh, Jim Jarmusch's uh, films. Uh, not a lot really happens in his films. It's more about mood, style, uh, aesthetics, and he still manages to get away with it without um, feeling pretentious and stupid and just cunty. <laughs> it was really good. Really, really good. I've got to rewatch it a couple times to get my final feelings on it, but I really loved it first time through. Great soundtrack, of course. I mean, if you find a Jim Jarmusch film that doesn't have a great soundtrack, then... But, uh, yeah, there you go. So that, that's what I watched. I think we'll take a little musical break. We might do a little song from the soundtrack of Only Lovers Left Alive. And when we come back, well, I'll go through a couple reviews. Just two reviews from my old blog archive. And then we'll uh, finish off talking about what's coming up in the podcast in the future. And uh, we'll say goodnight.
I'm a diogento, and when I am not making a movies involving my daughter being naked and spreading her butt cheeks for my camera, I am listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight, a move of a podcast. Scusi. Yeah, this is Rob Zombie, and when you're not watching my wife's flat ass deflate even more in every subsequent film I put her in, you should be listening to They Must Be Destroyed Outside. Movie podcast, yeah! Mars News Podcast! Hey, I'm Christian Bale as Batman, and when I'm not running the streets with fuck out Gotham, I'm listening to her. They must be destroyed out sight. The movie podcast. Where's everything? Where's Rachel Alright, we're back. And uh, we'll go right to the reviews now. So I think the first one I'm going to start with is a film called Monster Brawl from 2011. Uh, starring Dave Foley, Art Hindle, Jimmy Hart, Robert Mallett, Herb Dean, Kevin Nash, Lance Hendrickson, Jason David Brown, R.J. Skinner, Rico Montana, and directed by Jesse T. Cook. This is about an indie sports promoter who holds a pro wrestling tournament featuring iconic monsters of myth and legend and broadcasts it worldwide from an undisclosed graveyard. The various matches are divided by weight class and between undead and living monsters, and all the matches are to the death. Featured are Frankenstein, which of course is Frankenstein's monster, a werewolf, a cyclops, uh, a monster called Swamp Gut, who is basically a fat, uh, gassy swamp thing knockoff, uh, a mummy, a witch, dubbed Witch Bitch here in the film, a zombie, and a female Nosferatu called uh, Lady Vampire. Then we, the viewers, get to basically watch this sporting event play out before our eyes, tournament fashion, complete with both promo packages of and interviews from the monsters, as well as the actual in-ring action in the matches, of course, and then all held together by the commentating team of Buzz Chambers, who is Dave Foley from Kids in the Hall, News Radio, of course, and former... Wrestling champion Sasquatch, Sid Tucker, who is a veteran character actor Art Hendel, and most people probably know him from films like Black Christmas. Uh, that's where I know him from, anyway. I think he was also in The Brood. So, yeah, Art Hendel, he, he's pretty well known. If you see him, you'll know him. So being a big fan of pro wrestling growing up and still having sort of a love for the sport when it's done properly, I didn't really have a second thought about picking this up. It's a gory, sort of tongue-in-cheek Canadian-made indie effort. Not only is it both a loving tribute and parody of my favorite sort of fake sport and monster fight films in general, uh, it just sounded really fun to me, so that's why I watched it. Uh, I'm a sucker for iconic movie monsters duking it out. Um, I mean, I even like Jason versus... uh, or Freddy versus Jason, so 
that's what does, what does that say about me? Uh, I, I will say though, sadly, while fun, this film manages to take a very interesting idea and not really run anywhere with it. It does make use of very bare bones classic pro wrestling formulas, but it lacks depth. The quote unquote heel and quote unquote face characters, uh, respectively, bad guys and good guys for your, those people out there who are not familiar with wrestling terms are not well established in this film. I mean, essentially, these are all monsters, and perhaps only the Frankenstein monster and the werewolf could be considered faces because of their tragic backgrounds, and maybe Swamp Gut because he's an environmentalist, but uh, they all act as heels whenever the script seems to demand it, so there's real character inconsistency here. In pro wrestling, you have characters and angles, which are storylines, that the viewer is supposed to get behind, but the film lacks these elements, and it left me unable to get invested to a certain degree, and generally just feeling a bit cold about the wrestlers themselves. That being said, the in-ring action is decently done. Uh, Most of the makeup effects work great in the sort of Jack Brooks monster slayer sort of way, if you're familiar with that film. They're kind of cheap, but they're charming. The highlight of the film for me was Dave Foley and Art Hindle, who are sort of note-perfect as the commentating team. They truly capture the spirit of the classic straight man, color man duo, and I really enjoyed their stuff. Also of note is the legendary real-life wrestling promoter and manager, the mouth of the self, Jimmy Hart, who, as the ring announcer, pretty much walks away with the film whenever he shows up. That's just his personality. Two well-known uh, pro wrestlers make appearances in this. Of course, Kevin Nash, very well-known. He plays the sort of evil military handler of the zombie. Robert Mallet, who plays the Frankenstein monster in this. Probably better known as Kurgan in the WWF at the time. Real-life UFC ref Herb Dean is in this. And uh, Lance Hendrickson is credited as God. He basically just does narration for the matches. That's kind of like Mortal Kombat style kind of narration. I'd say this is worth checking out if you're a fan of pro wrestling and basically just like sort of monster fights and horror movies, you know, like Wolfman versus Dracula kind of shit, you know. It's, it's got sort of that charm to it, but it's not as good as it could have been. And I mean, if you don't like pro wrestling at all, you're going to find this really stupid. <laughs> Bottom line, you're going to think this is dumb. But if if you're into pro wrestling and you're into monsters fighting, there's a bit of an angle to this that is all right. But it could have been way better. Um, I I could have rewritten this film and made it better. Let's put it that way. And I'm not a film writer. All right. And the second review. This will be for The Thing from 2011. This is starring Mary Elizabeth Weinstead, Joel Edgerton, Ulrich Thompson, Eric Christensen Olsen, Otto Whale... Oh my god, I'm not even saying your name. Sorry. Paul Bronstein, Trone Espen, Seam, Kim Bubbs, Georgian Lang... Uh, okay, I'm done. I'm done with names. Sorry. Apologies to the actors, but all your names suck for the most part. <sighs> Directed by Matthew Just Van Hijjibblej... Just go on IMDB and read the name. Okay, so this is uh, the... <sighs> Much hated quote unquote prequel of uh, John Carpenter's 1982's The Thing. The course is a set in Antarctica in 1982, shortly before the events of John Carpenter's film, and is done in the Norwegian research team. Uh, we all know to be doomed, discovered a large crashed flying saucer beneath the ice, as well as an alien body a short distance from the crash site. An American paleontologist called Kate Lloyd, who is American. 
Mary Elizabeth Weinstead, is uh, recruited to assist the team in extracting the body from the ice by both a friend of hers, Adam Finch, and the very driven Dr. Sander Halverson, Halverson, whatever, whom Adam is an assistant to. I apologize by the, for these names getting fucked by the... Like I said, I'm kind of drunk. And yeah, there you go. I'm not doing retakes. Fuck this shit. Uh, Halverson wants to take tissue samples right away. Kate is worried about possible contamination from diseases, but is overruled. However, her fears are not unjustified. Uh, shortly after the team brings the body back to the base and the block of ice, the ice starts to thaw. The still-living creature escapes, from, and the entire team soon finds their lives at risk from an alien that can absorb and duplicate any living thing exactly and hide within this new duplication. The creature is smart and wants to escape the base, so it uses stealth, preying on people when they are alone in order to keep its identity hidden. Of course, this is a major problem for the team as nobody knows who to trust anymore. Who is infected? How can they be sure? Remakes don't always suck, which is true. To be fair, this film is technically a prequel to John Carpenter's The Thing. Still, I dreaded this one more than I usually dread prequels and remakes. This isn't The Hills Have Eyes, which in my opinion left much room for improvement, and the remake pulled it off. This is not the prequel to the remake of The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Who cared if that sucked? Um, this is the thing. This is holy ground they are treading on. Some might argue that Carpenter's film was a remake of Howard Hawks' The Thing from Another World. So, what is the problem? Here's the catch. Carpenter stuck closer to the source material, improved the special effects, and made a different film. It's a true remake in pretty much every sense of the word that stands on its own two feet, out from the under the shadow of the original film. They tried very hard here to please the fans of Carpenter's film, I'll give them that. Uh, they present a fairly likable cast who try their best with a by-the-numbers script. They tried hard to hold continuity between the two films. The CGI effects are actually really well done, but uh, there is a story, of course, that they start with practical effects and the producers or someone overruled them and said, we need to replace all this shit with CGI, which really does not ingratiate yourself very well to me, the viewer. I hate that decision with a passion and it made me want to hate this film from the get-go. Okay. The events we only see in the aftermath of Carpenter's film are basically laid out here for us in pretty much perfect detail and that's the main problem of course part of what made Carpenter's film scary was that the viewers left guessing about almost everything what the hell happened at the first base who is the thing when you are taken over do you even know it are either Childs or McReady the thing by the end of the film I want to know but I also don't want to know it's the mystery that keeps me coming back to be freaked out. And this film basically kills half the mystery presented in Carpenter's film, if you get my drift. The film answers too many questions, including what the inside of the spaceship looks like, which, my God, why did they do that? It's a major letdown when we do peek inside. The movie also shows off too much CGI monster stuff going on. Carpenter's film saved up its money shots. This film is drenched in them. It's basically a bukkake of crap. Uh, the final problem is that it never manages to feel like a real prequel because there's just too much from Carpenter's film that was ripped off for this one. 
There are scenes and characters that might as well be doppelgangers of Carpenter's films, which is kind of fucking ironic considering the nature of the creature, right? Also having a female lead that is first snubbed and held down by the men, only to be the kick-ass, take-charge hero feels like it was the PC thing to do. Hey, we need a Ripley this time out. No, we don't. On its own, it's not a bad film. And if Carpenter's film had never been made, this might have had a chance. I actually found myself wanting to like it, after dreading the idea of seeing it. But as it stands, it's only worth basically checking out on Netflix or Putlocker or some fucking thing when there's nothing else out there. Uh, it's just a waste of space, guys. really is. Unfortunately. Uh, Well-made waste of space, but a waste of space. And I guess we'll close talking about what we're going to be coming up with next few uh, months. Uh, this is These are just sort of uh, preliminary plans, of course, for the podcast. Of course, the next episode is going to be The Lodger Hangover Square. Hopefully that will be next week. I, again, I apologize it wasn't this week, but plans fell through, so that's the way it happens. Real life and shit. Inherent Vice is going to be our last uh, film in our sort of noir crime miniseries here. Then we're going to transition over into maybe a couple of weeks of uh, just doing a handful of sci-fi films. I think a couple of them are going to be horror sci-fi and just a couple standard sort of sci-fi films. Uh, there are some interesting suggestions. Well, I think one from Jack Graham for uh, an Italian one that looked really interesting. Really freaky as fuck as well. Then we're going to move into our sex comedy series. It's only going to be a month long this time around, so it's only going to be four episodes. We're going to try to keep it contained to that this time around. Then the idea is to switch over to perhaps Spaghetti Westerns for maybe a month or a half, month and a half, something like that. And then we're going to transition over to our Slasher series again. And that should cover most of the summer. Might throw a few odds and ends there as well. We do have listener suggestions and stuff on the back burner on our master list that we might get into here and there once in a while throughout the next few months just for a break. And, uh, yeah, that's that's kind of what we're looking at right now. Um, again, follow us on Facebook, on our Facebook page. That's the best way to get in touch with us, to give requests and suggestions and comments and get engaged with us. Really loving the uh, feedback we're getting. It's, it's a lot of fun. we got a small little dedicated group. It's sort of like a cult, really. And uh, if I send Kool-Aid packets to you guys at home, would you be opposed to making that Kool-Aid and then drinking it with me when I uh, suggest the proper date? Just putting that out there. But yeah, love love the feedback. Love uh, the little mini community we got going on Facebook now, the little conversations we got going. It's a lot of fun. It's been uh, good for the podcast. Uh, I know Daniel and Paul are also enjoying seeing this stuff, so it's really cool. We hope to have the whole group back again at some point. Like I said, again, real life stuff is sort of keeping all the all the main hosts uh, split apart here and there for certain episodes, but um, eventually we'll get the three amigos back together, I guess. Uh, three musketeers, three amigos, three stooges, whatever the fuck you want to say. But yeah, so listen to the trailer at the end. It'll tell you where to go, all the places you can find us, and we'll go in some music. I don't know what it's going to be yet. I haven't really planned that far ahead, but something we'll play. And yeah, this is probably the longest episode of Intermission I've ever done. Thanks for listening, guys. Hopefully we will be back next week with The Lodger and Hangover Square. That Those are the plans. We'll see you then. Have a good week. Bye-bye.
Thank you for listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. For links to the host's other stuff, as well as links to podcasts and websites of similar interest, please visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. There you can find links to the YouTube version of our podcast, our iTunes page, as well as our Facebook group, which is the best way to get in touch with us and leave feedback. And if you do not listen, then to hell with you!